Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. How does one start to care about the earth? And how do you operationally define caring? If we take it from a behavior analytic approach, we would want to make sure that these behaviors are observable and measurable. And if we are going to be really honest with ourselves and everyone else, behavior like this is very complex. And so it's going to be likely as a result of many factors, including our personal histories, as well as um, our access to items, as well as um, any sort of consequences that come as a result of any of our actions. So we're going to be shaped by our history and by our experiences. Um, If we talk about caring and we begin to operationally define that as in making positive statements, showing awareness of certain uh, environmental impacts. For example, um, when given the choice between a plastic and a glass bottle, um, potentially choosing the glass bottle if it's easier to break down after it's been consumed. We also want to consider the difficulty with a product and its creation. So the creation to consumption cycle is something to consider. Um, so you can look at certain ways of measuring behavior that's related to caring. You could also get very precise. You could say things like reduce single-use you know, plastic straws. You could say eliminate single-use plastic bags. You could switch a plastic toothbrush to a bamboo toothbrush so long as it doesn't also have plastic or nylon bristles. Um, There are other kind of environmental modifications you could make that you could measure, and all of those could be classified or response class of caring behavior or behavior related to sustainability and sustainable behavior change. You know, when we think about behavior analysis, it's the connection to the environment and the environment's connection and influence on our behavior. And if we take that outside of our immediate environment and think about it in a global sense, so we think about literally the earth, you know, the earth is changing. Um, and there are things that happen in the environment that would happen likely without humans, but we have an impact on our environment. And we believe that our environment also impacts us. And so the idea is that if we can make our world a worse place to live, if we contribute to the amount of trash in landfills, if we contribute to the amount of carbon emissions, if we contribute to ways to that worsen or um, maybe fasten certain um, effects related to climate change, then we should also be able to make it a better place to be. We should be able to impact positive desired behaviors on a hopefully a global or large enough sense Um, but really kind of starting at an individual level, which is at the core of taking a behavioral analytic approach, right? Looking at individual behavior change, having strong internal validity, being very technological in our procedures, being very precise and having observable and measurable behaviors that we are targeting. Um, The uh, evolutionary theory states that it is not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that is most adaptable to change. And that is something that can be really hard for a lot of people, behavior analysts included, although we are constantly seeking 
to achieve behavior change, it's much easier to dole out information and advice than it is to take and receive that information. And it's much harder to get that level of expertise from someone who's objective, right? Because we, as behavior analysts, are immersed in our own situations. In 2012, there was a Behavior Change for a Sustainable World Conference, which was an offshoot of the Association for Behavior Analysis International. And it was really led and coordinated by Dr. Bill Heward. And at that single track conference, there were speakers such as Lonnie Thompson, and he is one of the world's most renowned climate scientists. And he gave the opening address. And it was really difficult to hear him talk about doing the ice core drillings and um, kind of getting these devastating results and uh, basically just seeing a deterioration at exponential rates of millions of years that have been preserved in the ice in a matter of, you know, within a decade um, uh, was really kind of alarming. You know, he spoke with the doom and gloom, like the world is ending. It's not about if it's going to end to him. It was about when it was going to end. And hearing that from somebody so passionately, who's so science-driven and so intimately connected with the data source was really alarming. Um, however, conversely, there was another keynote speaker at the, at the conference, uh, Peter Cravia, the chief scientist at the time of the Nature Conservancy. And he really got um, individuals involved in taking in a shift, environmentalist and uh, looking at corporations and environmentalists working together. And instead of, you know, take down this building that is, um, you know, inhibiting the salmon, you know, swimming upstream in their mating rituals or or routines, uh, which wasn't going to happen. And instead of saying, go away, you environmentalists, you know, we don't care about the impact on the environment, which isn't usually the case, Uh, in these situations, or it's not necessarily the case in these situations. It just becomes a matter of sort of incompatible or uh, a matter of, you know, the ratio here uh, of, you know, effort to outcome. And so Peter Cravia talked about engineering the building so that the salmon could swim through the building, so that the building could remain environmentalist could be happy about, you know, what could happen for the salmon, but also the corporation could continue to be productive. And so it was an interesting mixture of desperation and inspiration throughout the convention. And it was experiences, it's like that, you know, where we went to an earthship, where we met with Annie and Jay Warnke and saw the Blue Rock Station farm and how they used the bottles uh, and mud for insulation and how they built slowly over time their house on their property and their chicken coop and, and so forth. And, you know, it's not that level of extreme lifestyle isn't for everybody, but it's really eye-opening and it got me thinking about behavior change, you know, small incremental steps. It was only a year after that convention uh, that I came to live in Hawaii, that I moved to the island of Oahu on the North Shore here in Haleiwa. And being by the ocean every day, I mean, I lived in Massachusetts, I was by the ocean, but here I'm across the street from the ocean. And being that close, I watched nature, I watched the waves, I watched the sand. I looked at the animals and the critters and the turtles and the seals and it was incredible under these rainbows and then I'd see all this plastic trash 
And I'd pick it up and I'd feel like I'm doing my part and I would, you know, pick up the trash and then it dawned on me, where am I putting this trash that I'm picking up? I'm, I'm just putting it back down. I mean, not directly in the sand, but in a trash can, in a recycling bin, you know, but still what's going to happen to it? It's going to go in the landfill. It's going to go in the ocean. And I really got to thinking about what about before I use an item? Do I really need to use it? What's the creation effort when we talked about the creation and consumption cycle? So when we think about behavior analysis and what can it bring to impacting behavior change, the answer is a lot, right? We can take a scientific systematic approach to sustainable uh, you know, targets of change, things that are important. We just have to have the funding. We have to have the interest, the motivation, the know-how, the time. And those are precious commodities with people who have the uh, expertise or the interest in really doing things like that. But there is an area for it. And so um, about two years ago, I started a a No Straw For Me campaign, and that was incredibly eye-opening and successful and, and helpful and difficult um, in many ways, and I thought it would be easy. And so reminds me, um, I recommend that any of you have your own behavior change program because you'll realize other people will sabotage, you'll, you'll have great efforts and you won't always succeed. And even if you succeed, you may not contentiously contact the reinforcer all the time. And it's just a real humbling experience to do on occasion. I think it's good for all of us. Um, But really what we want to do when we're talking about sustainable change is think about it from a behavioral analytic aspect. Think about it from one item, one behavior. How do we pick pivotal behaviors? How do we instill or program for generative behaviors? How do we get, uh, you know, stimulus equivalents and equivalent relations to emerge and form? And then how do we take what has good, strong internal validity Uh, strong fidelity with implementation and then how do we get that to generalize out and extrapolate and how can we then have external applications and get very um, similar and robust results you know are we going to change the world one individual one single behavior at a time Um, it's a start and it will add up so I think we can do our part to talk about behavior change. Sometimes that is a behavior that we can observe and measure. That is a start that is part of an earlier chain in the program and uh, the piece of trying to achieve behavior change. Um, there are some excellent investigations that have occurred, a lot of interest that has waxed and waned over the years. Look towards people like Scott Geller, uh, Paul Chance, Bill Heward, Uh, for information and look outside of behavior analysis. Look to people like Dr. Lonnie Thompson and Dr. Peter Cravia for information as well. And then to get more information about sustainability and my interest in behavior analysis, visit me at www.behaviorbabe.com.